journey. Last week we were looking at the at the location of hell, and um, we discovered in Scripture that um, hell always has um, a direction, and we saw that the direction is down. And the words used in all the scriptures that we looked at was down and below and beneath and depths and descending. In the realm. And, and, uh, that's right. And then and the, in the realm. And then we saw the one scripture that mentioned the heart of the earth, which is where a number of people go when, when they're trying to get a handle on a physical location for this, for this physical place that the Bible refers to as hell. And uh, some people camp there, some people don't. But what we see in, um, and when I say camp there, camp there... They, they <laughs> might be a little hot <laughs> camp there. But the point of the matter is, is that the Bible is relatively silent on the location of hell. And, uh, unlike the location of heaven where we know exactly where uh, heaven is. Because God says that he is going to create new heavens, plural, and the new earth, and uh, they are going to collide. Heaven and earth are going to collide, but it says not, no such thing about hell. And so we're, we're a little perplexed in terms of the exact location of hell, and there are theories and ideas, but the Bible is relatively silent. And then we took a look at, at uh, 2 Peter 3.13, and that says that that's the, the, the uh, scripture, one of the scriptures, that says that God creates the heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. And the problem that I've always had with, this, with the hell on earth or hell being in the center of the earth or hell being anywhere even associated with the earth is that the incompatibility with this righteousness that dwells on the earth, this is the new heaven and the new earth. And so I've always asked myself the question, if righteousness dwells on the earth, how could evil dwell there too? Well, if he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, maybe hell is in the old earth. <laughs> it's possible. There are a lot of possibilities. And I think we have to be open to uh, the ideas that are, that are out there, understanding that God didn't make it clear. He just didn't make it clear. But it's interesting when we think about the, the new earth, that's heaven where we are going to dwell, where righteousness will dwell. That's a oh, since hell is a tough subject, can we just can we just rest on righteousness for a second? That's a that's a good thing, isn't it? Um, and yet I wonder if righteousness and evil uh, in God's economy can dwell in the same realm at the same time. Mm. Mm. They sort of do now. Mm. It's a tough they do now, and yet uh, what we see is, is that God does not provide for uh, earth being a place of righteousness, but you have been made fully righteous in the righteousness of Christ, not anything that you've done on your own, right? And so we're, we're faced with this struggle. We're talking about the kids in this horrible car accident, and these things happen, and that's all because of the fall and the curse. And when that goes away, there will be no more fall. There will be no more curse in heaven, to be clear. And so can heaven uh, and evil, righteousness and evil, coexist 
within a, a specific location? Ah, no. I don't think so. Well, I don't think so. They might not be in the same realm. Um, I personally, and I fall in the camp of it is where God has placed it. Four or five passages in the Bible that talk about being cast out into the outermost reaches of darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, you know, a couple of thoughts. Um, In the Garden of Eden, we started, and that was on the earth. And God put a cherubim to guard the entrance to keep us from returning and eating the fruit of life. That's somewhere on earth, but we don't see it. Mm -hmm. So that begs the question, are there things on earth that we do not see? We are three-dimensional. Are there other dimensions, layers, realms? (laughs) 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 I'm just asking the question. I'm not saying that. The second thing, food for thought, is in this casting out in the outermost reaches of darkness, when you talk about put it under his feet, casting down, sometimes in the Bible when you're talking about casting down, that is in reference to punishment, Mm -hmm. being pushed down in punishment, not necessarily a location. So the real biggie is we don't know where hell is. <laughs> we don't know, but we know there is a hell. <laughs> what we learned last week is that the Bible is very clear that hell is a very real place and its location has not been um, disclosed uh, by God. Uh, it is, it is uh, at his pleasure that he discloses things to us in any event and he hasn't told us. And we don't want to go see either. And we, well, and the good news is, is that we're not going there. But the bad news is, is that there are those that we know that are headed, they're on that path. And that's, again, the gravity that we've been talking about and how that should change our life today. But we also took a look uh, at some depth at the story or the parable, if it is a parable, and arguably because there is a named person, the only parable that Jesus taught that has a named person, when some would suggest that, well, it's not really then a parable, because a parable is a story, is it not? That always has a point or two or ten or more. But uh, And Jesus, Jesus spoke in parables and taught in parables a lot. Either way, the message is the same, and we took a look at it, and what can we? What do we remember that we learned from the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Just from your memory, from last week's study, what did we remember from that story? What was the message, or some of the messages? There's a big separation between where Abraham was with Lazarus and where the rich man was, and there was no possibility of crossing over from one to the other. There's a chasm between the two. There's nobody no, can go back. You can't go back. There's no second chance. Okay? What else? It was hot. It was hot there. He was in... He was in torment. He was in torment. He was agony is the word that one of the, one of the translations uses. We also saw that, the, that this rich man was a Jew. 
He was a Jew. And what was he counting on? His works, his position. His relation to Abraham. That's the key. He was counting on being in the right religion to be, uh, to be accepted into heaven. And he found out, quite to the contrary, that it's not about being in the right religion. And there are many people today that we run across. Some of them knock on our doors. <laughs> and they believe that that is indeed the case. And they're working, they're working their way there. Mm-hmm. And he, he had already determined that he was going to heaven. He was going to be uh, with Abraham because he was a Jew. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching when you realize that that was the farthest thing from the truth. It didn't have anything to do with his religion. And we also learned that during his life, God blessed him tremendously with material blessings. But well, what did he do with them? They considered uh, monetary, uh, if you were rich, if you were wealthy, if you had a lot of good things, that you were blessed by God. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily. Not necessarily, God, but... God didn't necessarily give it to him. God didn't necessarily give it to him. But in the story, what does it say? While you were on earth, you had good things. Okay. And and uh, compared to Lazarus, Lazarus, who didn't. Okay. And so we know that that Lazarus was there. He couldn't even he couldn't even walk to the man's door. They had to place him there. Mm-hmm. And well, there's so the possibility that the rich man had done Lazarus out of his possessions or something, that he was responsible for the last of being in that condition. He could be, but we have all kinds of possibilities we're not told. Even knowing, the rich man even knew him. He had sent Lazarus over with a little water. That's true. And so what we do know is that he, he was, his heart wasn't right. Let's just put it that way. And he had all kinds of opportunity as we do, because we are wealthy by the world's standards. And so he had opportunity to share, and he chose not to. He chose not to. And so there were these two possible outcomes in this parable or this story uh, of where these two dead men were, what, could, what was going to happen. One was heaven, one was hell. That's very clear. And one was in agony, and one was in comfort. That's very clear. It's a it's a story. It's a beautiful story about, except for the heart wrenching part of it, about the contrasts between these two locations where these men were. And so Jesus tells this story, and he and he determines a couple of things for us. That number one, there's a lot of lessons in this story. Number one, um, uh, besides all the things that we've already mentioned, is you got to be really careful because our wealth can be a real impediment. A real impediment to our relationship. Because we begin to rely on it as opposed to being what? Completely dependent on the Lord. We depend on our wealth as opposed to depending on the Lord. And 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 therein lies a lot of trouble. Amen? So we see that, that Jesus um, had a lot to say. And the bottom line is that knowing the word of God, because did the rich man know the word of God? More than likely, he was well familiar with it. Yeah, he was well familiar with it. And so just knowing the word, here's some lessons for us. Just knowing the word of God doesn't get it done. 
Because who knows the word of God? Satan. Satan. I don't know, but in my, I want to think that Satan has it all memorized. I, I don't know that. But and the demons, you know, the demons, Satan on the on that side of the equation, it is well known. Better than the church knows the word of God. I would I would submit. And yet, that's not enough, because what we find out in this story is, it's what did the rich man know, but what did he do with it? What did he do with what he knew? He kept it at an intellectual level, and then he was very selfish. It never became a heart condition other than a bad heart. That's what it was. And so, so that's what we looked at relative to Jesus telling this story, and it was, it was pretty harsh, quite frankly. But there's more, because we know that the first century Jew knew quite a bit about hell. Quite a bit about hell. They knew it was punishment, we saw that. We saw that Jesus came, the question last week, did he affirm what the, what the first century Jew would have known about hell? He sure did. He absolutely affirmed. He taught right out of the Old Testament. He taught right out of... He, he spoke a lot about Isaiah. He spoke right out of Daniel 12.2 that talked about hell being punishment. So there was no question. And I imagine this rich man was thinking that there was no question in his mind that he wasn't going to hell. Because he, he knew the right stuff. And quite conversely, what happened? The exact thing that he wasn't anticipating because he wasn't listening his hard heart prevented him from being obedient. And that was his trouble. Sure. Uh, also, towards the end, he, he Lazarus asks to send back word to his brothers so that they might believe. And Jesus, who throughout the New Testament, prior to his resurrection, is telling his disciples and anybody who will listen that he's going to die, he's going to be raised up you know, all the different references he makes to it and this one I think he refers to even if a man were dead and gone you know like the Noah uh, example right that people won't believe that's right even if a man is raised back to life they won't believe so a clear reference to himself a clear reference to himself mm-hmm. and of course that was a very prophetic thing at the very end of that of that parable or story. Uh, depending on your point of view. And, and of course, Jesus affirmed all these things that the first century Jew would know, and, that, and, then, and then he taught on what was, what was being affirmed. And so, turn to Matthew 25, 46. Because now we're going to look at something that's not a parable. Now we're going to look at something, because when Jesus talks in parables, um, sometimes the parables are a little bit tricky because we have to try to discern what he's telling us. I like the rich man and Lazarus because it's a pretty clear parable, provided that it's a parable. It doesn't have to be explained later. It doesn't have to be explained later. We don't have to do a lot of thinking about it. It's, it's pretty clear. But now look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 46. He continues with some real clear teaching. What does he say? And then, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, so Jesus now is not talking and telling a story. Jesus is not talking in parables here. What is he doing? Being factual. Being factual and direct. He is being very direct 
and mm-hmm. he says that what and what's he speaking of here? If we if we for context, if we went a couple of verses or a few verses prior to this, what is he speaking of? The people who didn't do didn't feed the ones that needed feeding. And and separating sheep from goats. That's right. Okay, so he's talking about and who were the sheep? <coughs> okay, Darcy. You need some water? No, I'm fine. I just have a cold and it's loosening up. It's right there, isn't it? <laughs> so he's talking about sheep and goats, and the sheep are righteous. the righteous believers. And the goats are unbelievers. I like to put it in those two categories because there's two kinds of people in this world. There's believers and unbelievers. That's really that simple. I, I, we can complicate it all we want, but there's believers and unbelievers. It's, it's that simple. And so he's talking here about judgment and a verdict. I like how Jesus puts things in legal terms often. So he's talking about judgment. The judgment is you're either a sheep or a goat. And, 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 and we're going to be separated on that basis. And the verdict is what? What is the verdict for sheep? Eternal life. And the, and the verdict for, for, for the goats? Well, it's eternity Okay. And that's the key. The key in, in 2546 is the eternality of it. This is eternal. And so we want to think about this word uh, eternal because it's going to come up frequently in, in Jesus speaking and in other New Testament writers speaking about this place that we call hell. It, and, it's, and it's, you know, eternality is for how long? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. I, I love, I did a little bit of research because Scotty um, inspired me with this Geneva Bible last week. So I look in the Geneva Bible in this verse and it says in the Geneva Bible it says that and these shall go into everlasting pain, that's the goats, and for the and for the sheep or the righteousness into eternal life. And that's in the Geneva Bible. I like that. And so and then if we take a look at the King James it's everlasting punishment for life eternal. And so in I looked in uh, 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 Eight different um, translations of the Bible, and it either is eternal or everlasting for both places. Um, and uh, it's either eternal life or life eternal. They they put the words on either side of one another. And the point is, it's a long time. Eternal. <laughs> I just want you to think about eternal because this is going to come up, and there's a point for me making a point out of this word eternal. So eternal, eternal, eternal. I want to think about that. Because you know there are some people that believe in hell and don't believe it's eternal. Okay. It's called annihilation. Meaning that people, some people believe that there are those that are going to, go to, going to go to hell and then they are going to be annihilated there. And that's the second death. But we're going to see what the Bible says, not what people think. Because what people think isn't as important as what the Bible says. Right? So, what we see is, is that interestingly here, by the way, with Jesus speaking, he doesn't even use the word Hades or Gehenna. He doesn't even use the word hell. In this scripture, they will uh, go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. He only talks about what? The The condition of the place, the result, but not, not the physical place. It's really interesting because Jesus himself uses that word 
Gehenna several times in the, in, in the New Testament, 12 to be exact. And so, but here he doesn't use it. So he tells his, his audience, those that are listening to him, that they're going to go to eternal punishment. He doesn't say, you're going to hell. But what does he say next? More judgment. Matthew 5.22. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. Matthew 5.22. You know the drill. Somebody has to get there and read it. <laughs> but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, <coughs> is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire of the fire of hell. Okay, a couple things are going on here. First, what's going on? What's Jesus talking about? In this verse, <coughs> anger, it's an issue of anger, okay? A condition of the heart which is anger, okay? He's talking about anger, anger towards whom? Ah. Uh, okay, church. Huh? Without a cause. Yeah, without a cause. Yeah. Yeah, don't we do that? Don't I get upset with you, brother? Over something that I that I had no reason to? You, you should be. Well, no. <laughs> but but my point is is that then he says as I'm angry with my brother, I have absolutely no cause to be angry, and that I call him stupid, Raka. This is kind of like the slang, stupid. Oh, stupid. Come on, what do you know about 409s anyway? Yeah. Uh, so I'm contempt. Contempt. contempt with my brother for absolutely no cause. And what is the consequence? That's what's the critical thing here. What's the consequence of that? The fire of hell. Fire the hell. fire of hell. Wow. So if I call you stupid, I'm in danger of having to go before the council. This is another little thing he's talking about here. But, but if it continues, because I call you a fool, Jesus then uses that important word, which is hell. But, but in the fire of hell, we, it translates hell into 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 our English, but what's the word that he uses? Gehenna. The fire of hell. See, the audience would have known clear, full on, without a doubt, what that you oh, no question. No question, no question, no question, because they had the valley of Hinnom in their mind. Death. I mean, I mean, it's horrific. Horrific. They knew that word. And I think that that's why Jesus used it 12 times in the New Testament. So words matter. What comes out of our mouth matters. And he says here that, listen, brother, if you do this inappropriately, if I do this inappropriately to you, if I call you stupid and then call you a fool, I am on the precipice here of going to hell. Because it means what? My heart is far from God. To have those kinds of things come out. Oh, there's no way I can be in the spirit and have those kinds of things come out. I couldn't speak to you that way and be going to heaven. No, no way. It's not possible. That's what this says. Jesus says this. Words matter. It's really critical and important. He's talking to the church. Wow. Elsewhere he says it's not what goes in. It's what comes out. It's what comes out. That's right. And so now Matthew 23, 33. He's talking to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He said, 
If they had lived in the days of the forefathers, we would not have taken part in shedding of the blood. But you condemn yourselves, you say that you uh, that you're descended from those who did such things. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? What's going on there? Pharisees and scribes. And and what's the clear message? And there is judgment right here. He is judging them. Why? And what makes them false teachers that we already know about these Pharisees and scribes? What's the main thing that they that they are? They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Yeah. Uh, he is calling them out for being hypocrites, and then he's judging them and saying what? He is condemning them to what? What's the word though? But what's the word in the the word not the English word? Condemning. He uses it again. Mm. Oh, now if a Pharisee heard this word, trust me. Is there any question in your mind why they wanted to kill Jesus? This was a threat. Are you kidding me? You're judging me? Listen, do you don't you know who I am? I got a big bank account. You're just the carpenter. <laughs> That's right. Who the heck do you think you are anyway? And so here's Jesus using these words. These are strong words. This is not a story. Okay, Jesus in front of the Pharisees and the scribes is saying, you're going to hell, you hypocrites. Mm -hmm. This was not a popular message to this particular crowd. But he uses the key word there, Gehenna. They would have known what that is. And so what's important here is that we realize that throughout the Gospels, Jesus is not only affirming what these first century Jews would have already believed. Isn't it crazy? They already believed it, but they hated hearing it. Because he directed it at them. Hmm. That's pretty crazy stuff when you stop and think about it. Now transfer yourself you know, 20 some odd centuries later. Because it's 2015 now. And the same stuff is going on. The same stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. And yet, it was Jesus sitting before the Pharisees and the scribes. And now it's the Word sitting before today's Pharisees and, and scribes and those false teachers that we saw in that earlier passage. Which is, what is their, what is their fate? The false teachers? We're going to see more on this later. Hell. Yeah, the fires of hell. Gehenna. And then ultimately, mm. ultimately, hell is the lake of fire. But for now, mm. it's not. Because we're not there yet. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus is affirming that hell is real. That hell is darkness. That's spiritual darkness. That's real. He's affirming this. He's affirming that there's judgment and punishment. Okay? Remember, punishment isn't popular. But he's affirming that there is judgment and punishment and that it's real. And that, including in that included in that judgment and that punishment, there's gnashing of teeth 
Right? And what else is there? Weeping. Weeping. These are all graphic things. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he affirms that there's separation and lament in this place. Well, we know what separation is. Somebody said in this room a week or two ago that, that hell really is separation from God. Well, you know what? It's I think we're going to see tonight. It's it's not real. Ooh, I'll just let you hang on that for a second. So, but there's lament, knowing what could have been. Isn't that lament? What about the rich man? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's a picture in the parable or the story that says that I see Lazarus. Can you just... Ah, ah, it's tough here. Can you warn everybody? Can you warn everybody? Mm-hmm. And that there's no second chance. And that this hell is eternal. Everlasting. Forever and ever. See, they knew this. They knew this. And everybody in this room knows that. And I would submit to you that the vast majority of people that have been anywhere near the Christian message, they know it too. Because it's almost instinctive, isn't it? I don't say they accept it. I say that they know it. That would be important in just a little bit. So this is what Jesus taught. Read the Gospels sometime in light of hell. We always read the Gospels, don't we, in light of... What does Gospel mean? Good news. Good news. We always read it in light of that, don't we? Read the Gospels in light of hell sometime. Have hell be in the forefront of your mind when you're reading the Gospels. It's terrifying. It really is. I don't think so, we really know, even if we were going to go to hell, that knowing what we know, I think it would be hotter, end up being hotter than what we think it's going to be. I agree. <laughs> I, I think it would be so much hotter than we think it would be. And worse. And that's what I'm and, saying, yeah. worse than what we can imagine. Yeah, I mean, we know what it's supposed to be. I totally agree with you. Even hotter than we can imagine, because it's it's just going to be so miserable. Miserable. Like you think it's going to burn you to death, Mm -hmm. but it would never stop. Mm -hmm. You'd wish it were. Yes. Yeah. It would never stop. Can't you make this stop? And the answer is no. No. Mm -hmm. So so. So Jesus uses this really strong language. We're seeing, you know, because Jesus had more to say about hell than anybody. And so he uses strong language. First he tells a story, then he starts talking about it. He doesn't mince any words. He tells it like it is. It's very direct. They didn't like any of this message. None of it. Even though they knew it. It wasn't even original with Jesus. But they didn't like the message or the messenger. So, why, why is it that Jesus used this strong, direct language? Why did he do that? What was his purpose? It's the truth, and he's trying to warn people. Warning. Warning. What's that old 1960s? Danger, 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 Will Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> danger, danger. Danger, Will Robinson. Yeah, danger. It's a warning. We can use a little humor. It's okay. I mean, because it's a tough subject. So he's warning them. Did he want? Did Jesus want to instill fear in them? 
and us? Yes. The answer, yes, I have a yes. Yes? yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Because he doesn't want anybody to go there. If yeah. you're not afraid of the place, you might go, well, it might not be so bad. I'll yeah. check it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 no. They might serve water <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, saying, you know, those say today, oh, well, I'll have all my family there. Yeah. Yeah, you see, I think that fear can be a motivator, but regardless of that, I believe that Jesus is indeed using this language to instill fear. Because don't forget that there's good news on the other side of this message. But but is is there is 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 hell a fearful place, Brenda? Yeah. Yeah. I love. I'm reading this. Get another chance, though. Some people do, but that's not what Jesus says. So I, I love this. I'm reading this. Excuse me. Some people don't fear it. Some people don't fear it. Well, a lot of people think, well, when you die, you just die. They think it's focus, focus. Sure. Yeah. What they need is the fear of God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Reverence. Exactly. There's two different kinds of fear. Right. There's the fear of God, which is a, a reverent. That's that's reverence. Mm-hmm. And and then there is the instilling of fear here by implication, if nothing else, which is what Jesus is doing. Right. And so so Jesus is instilling fear, yes. And I'm reading this book, one of the books I have on, on hills by Francis Chan, who's a local guy, uh, and I love his writing because he's so he's so humble. But listen to what he says. I, I, I love this. I've been I've been just kind of even meditating on on a quote just from Francis Chan just this week. He says this: "We are bound by the words of the Creator, the one who will do what is right, the one who invented justice and knows." Perfectly, what the unbeliever deserves. God has never asked us to figure out his justice or to see if his way of doing things is morally right. He has only asked us to embrace his word and bow the knee to tremble at his word, according to Isaiah 66 two. So don't get so lost in deciphering that you forget to tremble. Hmm. Big, important, fearful, critical, grave things are being said on this topic of hell by Jesus. By Jesus. And I think sometimes we gloss over that. I think that's part of the human condition. Yeah. Eve didn't seem to be too afraid of mm-hmm. going again. Uh, building the Tower of Babel. They didn't seem to be too afraid that Amen. they were thinking themselves Amen. as God. You know, so. Amen. Amen. That's a warning for the church. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, a warning for the church. Like Eve, <coughs> you have Satan standing there saying, surely you won't die. Mm-hmm. Surely. Yeah, and then she had God walking in the garden with him. So it wasn't like she didn't have a face-to-face with God to say, Hey, you know this guy over here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about a little counsel? How about yeah, a little counsel, God? Exactly. <laughs> well, if Jesus spoke so boldly about hell, what should we do? Speak boldly about it, too. Do we? 
I like to think of it as a Bill Burr weekly challenge. <laughs> and it's a good one. Well, the thing is that this is what Jesus did. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus said, and this is who He said it to. And now I know that nobody in here is Jesus, but that's not the point. We are called to be like Jesus. In fact, we're called to be Christians. And what does Christian mean? Little Christ. And so if we're to be Christ-like, don't we want to emulate Jesus? And so does this change, based on the fact that he was bold, and he was direct, and he was firm, and he was unwavering, does that change your mind on any of the street preachers that preach hell and damnation and, and wrath? <laughs> you mean the repent the end is near? Hey, yeah, those guys that I always want to walk around. I mean, I'm a Christian, and I see those guys, and I go, oh, man, I go on the other side of the street. <laughs> well, it's kind of like one of the things Jesus is doing throughout here is he's, you've, you've hit on this a couple of times, he's, he's presenting it a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. On the chance that somebody's going to pay attention to one of them at least, ah. or that they'll grow in it, <laughs> or as you said, to me to be Christ-like is to grow towards being like Christ. We're not going to be Christ while we're here, right. but we are. Mimic goal is to, to grow. That's right, and mimic, and mimic, like your like your minor bird. <laughs> Careful what you say in your house when you have a minor bird. Because <laughs> when your friends come over, they're going to know how you're talking all. <laughs> so, isn't it interesting that Jesus talks about what? Three really important things. Judgment, wrath, hell. And in the church today, we don't like to talk about judgment, wrath, and hell. Because it's so, scary. Well, the question that I have so is, that I, is that, the fact that the church doesn't want to do it, is that ironic or demonic? Well, it's not, it's not good because Christians can become complacent and, and uh, think, well, I'm safe, what I, you know, I don't have to worry about it. You know, it's not a big deal to me. And then we start, it, it's kind of like, then we're taking God and Jesus for granted. Yeah. Amen, brother. That's uh, Thank you for that. Because yeah. we're, we're to have a growing heart from the unsaved. Yeah. Well, I think it's also that the church has become so involved in the secular world. Mm. That, you know, it's yeah, the culture has invaded the church, no question about it. And we don't want to say somebody's make somebody's going to leave the church because the money goes when the people leave. Right. Well, it's about numbers, too. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like I was telling the men two weeks ago, is, is I've been struggling with, am I loving God enough? in prayer and you know it's, it's like you know God this will be good to me so I oh, whatever you know but um, still working on it <laughs> well, and, and we will because it's the whole counsel of God that matters yeah I was going to say because we have to be mindful yes. of what he did in his ministry because he went in and he didn't say to the woman of well you're going to hell sweetheart you're like the fire <laughs> He, he ministered to their needs. That's right. He acted in love. And I think that there's a balance between the two. You have That's to right. be able to tell the truth, but you also have to be able to 
And we're going to see that balance because it's important that we identify that because there is just a balance. And the street preachers that make me want to walk on the other side of the street are imbalanced in, in a lot of ways because that's mm-hmm. all they do. And so if there was... And, yes, and so because it's, it's love that, mm-hmm. that matters because that's what we're called to. Love the Lord your God. How? It's everything you've got. Okay? And then and so it's this, like like we like say around here, right? And then and then everybody else. And so it, we do have to be in balance. So but enough about what Jesus said. What about the rest of the New Testament? Does the rest of the New Testament talk about hell? Yeah, it sure does. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's a pretty prolific writer. They canonized thirteen of his letters. Okay? So I have a trivia question for you. All right. There's no prize. Sorry. There's a red line in it for you. Okay? So here's the, here's the trivia question. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. How many times did he use the word for hell? Either Hades, Gehenna, Abyss, or Lake of Fire? How many times in his 13 letters, the most prolific New Testament writer? How many times? 782. 782. 26. 26. <laughs> Any other guesses? Want to take a wild stab at that one, Brenda? No. 30. Okay, you ready for the answer? Zero. <laughs> Surprise? <laughs> Zero. Never even mentioned it. Isn't that fascinating? See, I didn't know that. I've been a student for a long time, and I didn't know that. It was fascinating to me that I couldn't find anywhere, so I had to, of course, research that more. And Paul never used the word. And yet he was, he was, he was following Jesus. He was clearly empowered by the Holy Spirit in ways that I'll never understand. And he was teaching and preaching boldly, and he never used the word. Interesting. (laughs) But what did he use? What words did he use? When he did Paul speak about hell? He used punishment. What else? Destruction. Destruction is another word he used, right? Wrath. Away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. Death. He used those words, yet he never used the word that we translate into English in our, in our translations as, as hell. Hades, Gehenna, Abyss, or, or Lake of Fire. Jesus did a lot. And of course, John did in Revelation. We're going to see that a lot in Revelation. But not Paul. Not once. Interesting. So he always described the place... Even like Jesus did. Jesus described it a couple of times, but mostly he just talked about you know, what it is. Not where it is, but what it is. But Paul never used the word. So here's the point. Both Paul and Jesus spoke a lot about hell. They never shied away from it. As a matter of fact, Paul spoke about hell using words other than the words for hell 80 times in his 13 letters. 80 different times. 
which is really interesting because that is significantly more times than he talked about God's grace, heaven, significantly more times. And yet we think of Paul as the one that's the encourager all the time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So they both warned us about hell, Paul and Jesus. And they didn't shy away from the reality of this place called hell. Why? Why didn't they? They didn't want anybody to go there. Okay? It's an essential truth of the historic Christian faith. You can't get away from it. That's why I asked the question earlier, if Jesus was this bold about talking about hell, oh, I've been challenged, believe me, the last several months as I've been studying, I've been challenged by this Jesus, this, this Jesus that, that is my Savior, this Jesus that I worship, this Jesus that is my life, and who is so bold talking about this topic and that I never have talked about. And what do I do with that? Because at the end of the day, we have to look at the application of, of the teaching. I mean, if we're not going to apply it, what's the point? And so the application is, boy, it's challenging. I, I, I don't have it all figured out yet in my life. I think, I'm, I think I've got to continue to work on me. I don't know about you. But, uh, but, but this, is, this is tough. This is tough. But it is an essential truth that we cannot shy away from. So we can't just talk about God's love and His mercy and His forgiveness. Those are all wonderful things, of course. But we have to talk about it in terms of and salvation, the most critical thing that is in the gospel. That's the good news. Okay, But that's completely out of balance if we don't talk about hell, right? We have to talk about both sides. It is absolutely essential. Because churches don't. And people now come to church and they think there is no hell. And I'm telling you, if you're going to church and you're being taught that there is no hell, there are people that you know that are going there. And you're not going to prevent it if you're in that camp. That's the gravity of the situation. It's horrific. Today's society, though, they don't want to... Their first, A lot of the secular people, that's the first thing that when you start talking about things that they're not doing right or well, you're judging me. And the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. So you're not being a good Christian. Which isn't true, by the way. Right, because no, the, judging, the judging isn't that uh, discernment. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be, you know, have discernment towards other things. And, but that's what they always throw out at you. Mm-hmm. So then a lot of people go, oh, you know, you, you're immediately thrown back. Not supposed to use the word sin? We've got the Supreme Court that's going to decide what marriage is between a man and a woman. We already know what it is. The Supreme Court's going to refigure that first. <laughs> <laughs> God needed an interpreter. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, what do you expect? We're told this is going to happen. This is not news. No, no. It's like, it's kind of hoping it'll be gone before, you know. It's like on the news today, they're talking about the freedom of speech, and we don't have freedom of speech anymore.
Don't you want them to just have that freedom? <sighs> no. Because all the rest of this stuff is just a bunch of hogwash. It's all it is. It's all, it's all the scheme of the devil. That's all it is. And, and he's already lost. Jesus wins, if you haven't read the book. Jesus wins. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and you to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Wow. Note the wrath of God here. This isn't wow. Jesus speaking, by the way. Wow. Paul. Who is it? Paul. Paul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, the guy that doesn't use the word hell, Gehenna, Hades, Abyss, Lake Fire. Anywhere in any of his writings, what does he say here? Yeah. He's describing it pretty clearly, isn't it? You know, here was that terrible God of wrath was mean, and if he really loved people, he wouldn't do anything. Well, the first thing that jumps out of me, I don't know about you, is in verse 6, the first verse that we read yeah. here. It says that he will repay. God considers it just. Wait a minute. This is the God, the creator of the universe, who considers it just to repay with affliction. What does repay mean? Pay back. Pay back. Retribution. This is the God you worship. Because he's very legal. Follows the law. And jealous, I might add. He's <laughs> a jealous God. It says that since indeed considers it, he considers it just to repay. That's retribution, not correction. This is not a correctional facility that we're talking about here. This is retribution that he's talking about. Wow. And what else does Jesus do? He inflicts vengeance. That's what mine says. Verse 8. In flaming fire, very graphic, inflicting vengeance on whom, Ernie? <laughs> Those who don't believe. Those that don't know God, and they don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we could just camp on this one for a while, guys, because there is a lot going on here. The point here is, is that the goats... Those who don't know the Lord and don't obey the gospel, they're disobedient. Okay? There's no relationship. It says that God is going to retributively, meaning with retribution, He's going to pay them back with affliction. Where? We know where. It doesn't say how, but we know. Ah, but we know because we have the whole counsel of God, don't they we? They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. It's revealed from heaven. That's right. Blazing fire with a powerful. So this is this is real. This is the real deal, isn't it? Yeah. Is this uncomfortable? Should be. It should be. Even for believers, this should be uncomfortable. If our heart is right for people. Because he's talking here about retribution, vengeance, wrath. Oh my goodness. 
This is the Apostle Paul, empowered by the Spirit, mm -hmm. saying these things. And yes, even nice, good, moral, sweet mm -hmm. people that have no relationship with Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and are disobedient fall into this category. Is mm -hmm. that fair? No, it must be fair that I wouldn't do it. Yeah, well, not in my mind, it's not. <laughs> they say they're living a good life. Why shouldn't they go to heaven? Exactly. That's what they say. That's what they say. They're living a good life by our standards. By whose standards? By our standards. That's right. And what is God's standard? Perfection. Perfection. And who measures up to God's standard? Nobody. No, that's right. <laughs> None of us. None of us. So here we have this, this, well, here's another Francis Chan quote that I, that I wrote down. Um, and he says, I really, listen to this now, because the, I think this one is, this just epitomizes, I think, where the church is, the American church anyway, because uh, that's what I know. Um, but listen to this. It says, I really, this is Francis Chan, not me. He says, I really believe it's time for some of us to stop apologizing for God and start apologizing to him. Or being embarrassed by the ways he has chosen to reveal himself. Wow. That was a second four. That one just almost gave me goosebumps. This very powerful quote. Don't we? I've done it myself recently. Apologizing for God and his wrath and his vengeance and his retribution, repaying those that are nice people. Mm -hmm. They're nice people. Mm -hmm. And yet they're on the pathway to hell. Yeah. And I try to soften it. I've been there. I've done that. I'm guilty. But Paul isn't, and Jesus certainly wasn't. It's just tell me the way it is. This is the truth. Mm -hmm. This is the truth. Mm -hmm. Pretty sobering. But we like Second Peter chapter two, don't we? That talks about we don't have to turn there. That talks about the false teachers. Hang them. We we like to say hang them because they're they're sending people to hell. These guys because they're lying, right? We all know. We've seen. We've been a part of. There's there's you know that's that that's not new. That's been going on for a long time, a couple thousand years. These are selfish, ungodly hypocrites that are in it for themselves that are not... They've not driven the stake in the ground that the, that the Bible is the truth. Of course it's not the truth. How could it be the truth? They're not teaching out of the truth. They're teaching out of their own depraved heart mm -hmm. for their own selfish reasons. I don't know what their motivations are. I just know that they're not speaking the truth. And so Second Peter chapter 2 talks about what's going to happen to them. It says that that they're going to hell. That's what it says. They're going to hell. Now, the next time you run across, you know, one of those TV evangelists that's speaking and preaching in a way that is absolute lie, I challenge you to write them a letter or knock on their door and tell them to read Second Peter chapter 2. See, I think they know it. Because that's what the Bible says. They already know. But it doesn't matter to them. 
But it should matter to us because of who's being impacted. It should matter to us. <coughs> we find more New Testament references to the reality of hell in almost all of the other <coughs> New Testament letters. Corinthians, Thessalonians, <coughs> Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Timothy, it goes on and on and on. Jude's a good one. The little letter of Jude talks about it. And then we get to Revelation. <coughs> Revelation 14. <coughs> And the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone... I'm sorry. <laughs> my eyes off of it. Worship. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark <coughs> on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There will be no rest in for night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. We're really familiar with this whole 666 mark of the beast thing, and we talked about that during our end time study, and, and we're not going to go into that now, because what we're talking about is hell. And we're talking about here, John the Revelator is talking about what? God's what? Wrath. It's very clear. God's what else? Fury is anger. Oh, wait a minute. We got, because we got... Lynette said earlier that we got there's got to be balance here. But I see God's wrath, I see His fury, His His anger, and and I I see even I see torment, and I see the sulfur that you like to talk about, and you know, and it's fire and sulfur. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are these are they, these are horrific things, and so this is hell he's talking about here. These are the images of hell he's talking about because of God's wrath because of his anger. And then, by the way, the side note in verse 11. What does it say about forever and ever? Okay. And what is the forever and ever referring to? <laughs> but what's it referring to in context? Punishment. Are you sure? Okay, it could be. Okay. Okay, I just wanted to make something. The smoke of their torment. The smoke. The smoke. It says, so I want to just be really careful here. Um, because what happens oftentimes when we read this, we see forever and ever, we immediately think, oh, we're talking about hell forever and ever. No, we got to read the whole of the Bible in context. And what this is saying, this is just a little side note here. In verse 11, it says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. This is a good one. The reason I bring that up is because the people that are into annihilationism, meaning that you're going to go to hell, but you're going to be annihilated there, you're going to die, and you will no longer exist, use this scripture as a reference point for, see, the torment goes up forever and ever, but they're not there forever and ever. 
Now that's a stretch. It's a stretch, and I and I I get the stretch. But whenever you're stretching past the truth, you have to stretch. And so the point is, is I just wanted to bring that up because we have to be careful about how we read that because this doesn't say anything that hell is forever and ever. All this says is that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. But it goes on to say there's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in the cemetery. Anyone who receives the mark. That's correct. And my point is, forever and ever relates to the smoke. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Okay. Now, there's forever and ever about the eternity of hell and lots of other places yeah. in the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to bring that up because it's important to read what the scriptures say mm-hmm. and not read into what mm-hmm. the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. Enough said. So, yes ma'am. It talks about he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Hmm. We're going to get to that in a minute. Okay. Just hang tight. <laughs> Save that question. Save that question. Okay. So what's the message of this passage? If you could summarize it real quick. What's the message? It's forever. Okay. Well, clearly things are... It, the smoke is forever. But what's the message of the passage? Punishment is forever. Punishment is forever. It will not be restful. It won't be restful. It's God's fury and wrath. It's God's fury and wrath that... That is poured out. It's what? For those that don't believe. Yeah, I wrote three words down. Don't oppose... God. (laughs) Here's the outcome. Those that are in opposition to God, it's wrath, it's anger, it's torment, it's fire, it's sulfur, it's forever, it's... Are you kidding me? Yeah, they chose the beast over Christ. That's right. Don't oppose God. You don't have to turn there. Least we forget Romans 5, 6 that says what? Christ died for the ungodly. Here's the balance, you see. Because here we see God's wrath. Here we see God's uh, retribution. Here we see God's anger. And yet, we got to go back to Romans 5, 6, where we see that Christ died for these very people he's talking about. That's us. We opposed God. You know, something, something people don't ever say is, is, is they say, well, how can God be unjust and all this and this? But... I was just thinking that, you know, we break his heart every day. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing it forever. And how do we do that? By not doing what he asks us to do. Mm-hmm. And by not accepting Jesus. And, okay, and what's that called? Sin. Sin. Disobedience. You know, and then they say, well, why would God do that to us? Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing it to him. Hmm. That's interesting, because you know, when we end this study, we're going to spend the whole night, an hour and a half, talking about that one question. Would a good and loving God send anyone to hell? Because when I asked that question six weeks ago, everybody unanimously in this room said, no. (coughs) But we're going to look at what Scripture says, because I want to challenge that answer. Oh, not personally, but biblically. I want to challenge that answer. So we have to be really careful about taking dogmatic positions on anything. We have to know what Scripture says. 
So, and then finally, Revelation 21.8 says this. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, these are bad people, huh? <laughs> Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's Susan's favorite. Yeah, she likes that. Because that's the final hell, isn't it? That's where they're going to be consigned to. This is the second death. Consigned to where? The lake of fire. Okay, now we're going to start using this word that we like to use. The lake of fire is what? That's hell. That's hell. Okay. So when we talk about hell, we need to make sure that we're talking about the lake of fire because that is ultimately what God calls hell. That's the final destination for whom? For whom? I think it's like when you're talking about the number of heavens there are. I think there is a number in the hell too. Of course there is because we have we have Sheol and we have Hades, the realm of the dead. We have Gehenna. We have uh, so you know we're and, and, and we'll finish this up when we summarize all of this. We talked about this a few weeks ago, um, but we we talk about a present hell and there's a future hell, isn't there? Just like there's a present heaven. When we die, I am so confident that if I die today, I have no issue. I am gonna be with the Lord in the present heaven. There is a future heaven, the new heaven and the new earth that God, that God uh, creates, and he's going to bring it together, and that's ultimately where I'm going to go, in a completely resurrected body, and it's going to be a very physical place, and I'm going to be there forever with Doris. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be there. You too, Brilliant. And everybody else sitting in this room. Say, what about the rest of us? I'm pretty confident of that. So the point is that who is going to be in this in this fiery lake of burning sulfur, this place that that the Bible calls hell? Who's going to be there? Unbelievers, angels, and unbelievers. Satan, his angels, and the unbelievers. Yeah, we know that for a fact. Huh? And that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. And the false prophets. There's many as the sand on the shores. Yeah, that's right. And so, and he says that that's in Revelation 21, 8, that this is the second death. What is that? Why is he called the second death? We got our physical death here, and then it's the final death. Finally, it means that there's no way out. This is it. This is the. <laughs> if you died outside of Christ, isn't that kind of final? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Remember that death is punishment. But the first punishment is physical death. The second punishment is spiritual. Spiritual death. Spiritual death. Yeah, judgment. That's the white throne judgment. Right. That's where this lake of fire comes into place. And those people that are thrown in there, that is the second death. And that is. We talked about hell being separation from God. Is it? Let's see. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be a spacious hell either. I think it's going to be crowded. <laughs> if that's what you want to believe, that's fine. I don't know that I. Well, why would it be spacious? I don't know. That's what Sartre said. That hell is a. Yeah, why would it be a new hell? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the Bible says. <laughs> So, so what we got to deal with, we have the second death, and it's, it's spiritual, it's separation. Is it also physical? Are people in hell physical? Yeah, I think that there is a physical component. Because Say, I have a sure they're physical. You, are you in the physical camp? I think so. 
Anybody? Robin run physical camp? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think so, yes. It will probably be changed okay. like everybody else's. Okay. It will be a body that they yeah. will receive like we will receive too. Okay. And so we will experience the joys of heaven with this body we have. Okay. And they will experience mm-hmm. the torments of hell with the body they have. Okay. <laughs> it's not a physical body like earthly physical. Oh. Because earthly physical, that's the first punishment, the first death. Ah. And it rots. Of course not, because we already know about heaven that we're going to receive a body that is a heavenly body, not an earthly body. Well, how else would you burn forever if you're... I mean, physical bodies burn up. <laughs> mm. The point is, is that the Bible teaches that hell is a very physical place. It is a, phys- a physical realm that we don't know exactly where it is. And that there are going to be resurrected bodies. And that there are going to be a final judgment. And there are going to be people that are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And they will be thrown there in their resurrected body. Very clear. Very clear. Nothing else about hell is very clear. What are they going to do? They're going to be tormented there. There's a lot of things that we know are that hell is about. Okay, but what I love about the Bible is it talks a lot more about heaven than it does about hell. So for the warnings that Jesus gave us, that Paul gave us, that other writers of the New Testament scriptures gave us, all those warnings, all that truth, all of that reality pales in the comparison to what the balance is, which is the good news, which is the juxtaposition of hell, which is heaven, which we're told a lot about. Right down to the fact that there's going to be animals hanging out, and they're going to be, you know, you're going to be able to reach right down into the microphone. We're getting food stamps and everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) It's all good. But we're in this lake of fire issue right now, and who's in charge? Because you told me, I have to, I have to call you out on this. You told me that hell is separation from God, and I think you did too. Separation, physicality, not from His. I always said that He had the keys to heaven and hell, and that He could do what He wants there. He has all power over it. Oh, speaking of that, what are the three primary attributes of God? His omnipresence, omnipotence, and what's the other omni? He can still do anything. He can do. He's okay. Okay. So omnipresent means what? All present. Yeah. All present. And omnipotent means what? All powerful. And omniscient means all knowing. Okay. Now hang on. The Bible that I read, it's a good one, right here. <laughs> the one that I read says that God will never change. Mm-hmm. What's the topic we're studying? Yeah. Okay, now I want to think. I want you to think about this for a second. Just don't before we look at any scripture at all, because we only have ten minutes. God is omni three. <laughs> Potent, mm-hmm. present, mm-hmm. and what else? Known. Okay. All right. Now, <laughs> turn to Revelation fourteen ten. Now we're going to answer your question from a few minutes ago. Okay. The Bible's going to answer your question from a few minutes ago. Okay. Somebody, please read Revelation fourteen ten. 
He too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Okay. Now, it doesn't even matter who John the Revelator is talking about here, because we're focused on hell, and we're focused on who's in charge right now. God's in charge of hell. Okay. Well, note that there's this fire and this sulfur, so we know we're talking about hell. <coughs> and whom are we in the presence of? Holy and the Lamb. Okay. Now we got to deal with the Lamb. Because the Lamb is pretty important in the book of Revelation specifically. Just specifically in the book of Revelation, the Lamb is identified 28 times. And 27 of those times, the reference is clearly, either directly or symbolically, Jesus Christ. And so now I want you to change, not, don't worry about the warning in Revelation about changing any of the words in Scripture. I, I just want to make a point. I want to reread this. The last sentence says, They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of Jesus Christ. Note presence and Jesus. And we're talking about burning sulfur. We're talking about hell. And we know that that God is omnipresent. And that that attribute and that nature of his will not change. And that means specifically that God is all-knowing all-powerful, all-present, confirmed all the way in Revelation 14, 10 by the Lamb being present. Now, present in hell. Now, hang on before you get excited. Before you get excited and we say that Jesus is going to hell. Okay. All right. We have to be very clear when we interpret this. So what is it telling us? It says that the wicked are going to suffer in the holy presence of the Lamb. Is that separation from God? Yes and no. <laughs> okay? Because we have to look further. Okay? Matthew... <laughs> it depends on what the definition of it is. It's very good, Mr. Flynn. But Matthew, Matthew 10, 28, I'll read it real quick. You don't have to turn there unless you're already there. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Be afraid of the one that can, soul, that can destroy both body and soul in hell. In hell. Matthew 25 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we see that both Jesus can, can not only destroy both body and soul in hell, but his presence is there because he is omnipresent and that he created hell. Okay? 
Okay, this is a created place. He created hell for whom? The devils and the, and the devil and his angels and and all unbelievers. Okay, we know that from from the balance of scripture. And in a sense, you see, God's grace isn't there. God's grace is not in hell. But what of God is in hell? His wrath. His wrath. God's wrath and God's judgment is there. But you see, there is no grace of God in the place. How God does that, I don't have a clue. It doesn't tell us biblically. It just infers that there will be the presence of the Lord, but not His grace in that place. And that's the torment. That is the torment. It is not separation from God completely. It is the knowledge of the separation from His grace. You know, Bill, I think I've been kind of uh, myself looking at uh, at hell wrong. Um, Because I always kind of thought in my mind that that Satan was in hell, in charge of hell, tormenting everything. But Satan's just going to be another... Everybody else in hell. Satan is going to be just like everybody else. Not in charge. That's right. (coughs) Of course, why do we think that? My mind assumes... And why? We go there, and I'll tell you why. It's, It's primary because who's in charge of this world? We just make the leap automatically that he's going to be thrown into the fiery lake and that he is going to be in charge there. But the Bible says no such thing. That's right. He's wanting to take as many with him as he can get to come. But he's not in charge. (laughs) Who's in charge of hell? God. God. God (laughs) Yes. Wow. See, that's a that's a that's a revelation or something, isn't it? That's Well, now you can change your thinking because to be biblically accurate, we can see that that we can't just say that hell is complete separation from God because it's not. He will be there omnipresent, not with his grace. You know, someplace in Scripture, and I don't know where it is, it says something about, so even, I'm, even though I'm casting into hell, God is still there. And I don't know where it is. Well, we know that omnipresent is omnipresent. That can't change because God can't change. But when Christ came down, when Christ came down to earth, he emptied himself of his glory and things like that. So God can be present and yet his glory not there or his excellent point God God can do anything God can manifest himself in a burning bush didn't he was he still fully God when he was in the burning bush absolutely it says in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb so Jesus the lamb could witness that and yet not be there in his presence. Mm-hmm. 
But Jesus will also still be sent into the right hand of God. Yes, and now I'd like you to fully explain so that every one of us <laughs> understands completely <laughs> the Trinity. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> just explain the Trinity. It'd be no problem. Uh, you, you got 60 seconds. Go ahead. And therein lies. And we, we've been looking at that for weeks now that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Who knows the thoughts or the ways of God? None of us. Part of the punishment will be that they won't notice Jesus is there. Hmm. Well, I think what they're going to know is they're going the part of the punishment and the torment is that you see they are going to know like the rich man they are going to see because of the presence of God they are going to lament the fact that oh my goodness I am separated from the full presence of God which is what those on the other side are going to have Amen and I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I'm in torment. It's very hot. There's a lot of people here. The traffic is unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all of those things, but I mean, it's really horrific. It's the worst of everything we can imagine and more. And so how bad is it? Is it the same for everybody? If Satan isn't in charge there, we know biblically Satan is not in charge of hell. Well, it's the same for everybody because it says if you break one sin, you break them all. So. But do you go to hell for your sin? No, you go for not accepting Jesus. Okay. Apparently there are departments of hell because it says anybody that anybody that abuses little children will have a special place in hell reserved for them. Let's go real quickly here because I will tell you that the Bible teaches that there are degrees of punishment in hell and I think that Satan has the reserved front row seat in terms of <laughs> the deepest one. He, yeah, he is going to be he is going to be punished more severely than anybody. I, I am absolutely convinced. Mm-hmm. And Acts one twenty five says, Take part in his ministry and apostleship for which Judas by transgression fell, mm-hmm. that he might go to his own place. Okay? So clearly there was a special place. Not just a general place for our friend Judas. His own place. Matthew 11.23 says that in you, Capernaum, you will be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For it is for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have been it would have remained to this day, but this is what's important. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Mm-hmm. Clearly a distinction in turn and Sodom was a horrible place, amen. Mm-hmm. And so there is a degree here, it's going to be more horrible than for Sodom. And then so there's more and less bearable in hell. And then of course in Luke it says the servant this is a this is a parable and we can we can get the implication of the degree of punishment here. It says the servant who knows the master's will does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. So you are going to he- not you. People are going to hell not by virtue of what they did from a sin point of view, meaning it's not the amount of sin 
or even the degree of sin, because God views all sin the same. It will be what was revealed to you. So people ask me, what about little children? What about people in the jungles? What about this? What about that? And the Bible is really clear. What was revealed to you, and what did you do with it? That's what the judgment is going to be about. And for Satan, who probably has this memorized, and has been trying to take people to hell with him forever... Okay, I believe that he is going to have a reserved front row seat in terms of the magnitude of his torment and punishment there. Whereas somebody that perhaps um, has only been revealed a little, and they've said, nah, okay, here's that good moral person again. I mean, the Bible says there's degrees of punishment. And so if you were a good moral person and you lived out in the jungles of, of New Guinea and you found out about Christ the day before you died and didn't accept him and you ended up going to hell, because that's what will happen, according to the Bible, that's going to put you in an entirely different category than Satan. An entirely different category. And so what we see is that there's a lot of egregious stuff that is going to happen and the degree of reward or the degree of punishment in hell which is very real, is dependent on just that. What was revealed to you, what did you do? The Bible also says that nobody has an excuse not to believe in God. That's right. Because nature itself reveals things. And God is just. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like Francis Chan said in that quote, he doesn't ask us. He does not ask us to figure out his justice. He asks us. To believe and bow the knee. Amen? Mm-hmm. That's what he asks mm-hmm. us to do. And what I love is that we're here and we're getting into his word in the kind of death that is revealed to us. We know, you see. And that drives us closer to him and having a heart for those that don't. And yet we can't save a soul. Not a one. Mm-hmm. But what we can do but what we can do is we can do something about what is revealed to us. Something was revealed to you today. Satan isn't in charge of heaven. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I mean, we know he's not in charge of heaven. He, he is not in charge of heaven. And so that revelation to you, which is a biblical truth, should mean something, and it should now affect the way you not only view hell, but you talk to people about it. Right. Simple as that, and that's all God asks you to do. You have a greater confidence because you know more clearly that part of it. Something I found fascinating is the valley of penance, which we know what that was and the suffering, is right next to the potter's field where Judas hung himself is right next to the valley of penance. He probably had to walk through that to go hang himself. Don't you walk through the valley of the shadow? Of <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't that isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking, not a lot of time, but some time talking early about their trip to, to Israel and, that, and about how alive it becomes, when, you know, because you've been there, you've been to those places, and we, we hear about them, we see pictures, but you go. And it's a it's a whole different thing. I've never been, but we went to the we went to the, the scroll thing down you know over the over the weekend, and we saw that 3D movie, and it shows the whole thing from above from a helicopter, whatever it is, you know, and they're flying around <laughs> through the 
through the valley and through Jerusalem and through all that stuff, you know, and it's like, whoa, you know, I see the pictures, but even the 3D is powerful. I can imagine walking there. Right. You know what interesting about that movie is how much they talk about Muhammad. Well, because it was the idea wasn't wasn't a Christian movie. It was it was clearly it was clearly just a movie about Jerusalem and and the and the three the three powerful um, um, religions that are that are centered. Okay, Judaism, uh, Islam, and and, and Christianity. Really about being politically. And it, it was, but, but given the fact that it was secular, it was okay. It was okay. I mean, we would have preferred it to be more of a Christian movie, right? But but it was it was a secularly done movie, and it, it and, and they didn't they didn't beat up the Christians too bad, like is common today. I I thought it was okay, you know, given the fact that it was secular. But the point is, is it was interesting. It was interesting. So we know more about hell now. And we're, we're going to finish up this series in the next 12, 14 weeks. Uh, 12, 14 weeks? <laughs> I think maybe even <laughs> Romans, yeah. <laughs> but we're, we'll finish up soon. And, and what I want you to think about this week and really meditate on it, and if you feel so inclined to go into Scripture if you would like to, and with a little bit of self-study. But I really want to wrestle with and I want to get biblically sound on this question of this good and gracious God, this, this God on the other side of wrath and, and anger and judgment, that God that we know and that we love, I want to get, I want to wrestle with, is it this God that sends people to hell, or do we just choose to, to go there? Those are, those are two questions that I want, to, I want to wrestle with, and I want to, I don't want to wrestle with them based on what, how I feel about it. I want to wrestle with it based on what God's Word tells us, and come to terms with this God that we worship, that is the creator of the universe, that has been forever on this rescue mission for all of mankind, including the ungodly, of which we were. Amen.